The Productive Woman, Episode 232. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, we'll be talking about confidence, peer pressure, and making a life that matters as you define it. You'll find more information and links to resources I mention in the show, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 232. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander and by the University of California at Irvine Department of Continuing Education. If your personal or professional goals this year include additional education, the University of California Irvine Division of Continuing Education is here to help you achieve those goals. And for a limited time, they're offering the Productive Woman listeners a discount on one of their courses. Visit ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more about the programs that they offer and enter promo code podcast for 15% off one of those courses. That's ce.uci.edu slash podcast and enter the promo code podcast to get 15% off one course. I'll share a little more about that later. Right now, I want to talk a bit about our other sponsor, Text Expander, and how Text Expander can help you be more effective and efficient in your written communication. I think we all know that copy and paste is a pretty inefficient way to keep track of the things that we type over and over again, that we use many times in the course of our written communications, whether it's email or Word documents or anything else. Well, Text Expander makes you more productive by taking care of all those words and phrases for you. They let you create a little snippet. So instead of having to copy and paste or retype the same things over and over again, you just type a few characters that Text Expander then expands into the full formatted text that you want in your document. Text Expander works in all your apps so you can use it everywhere like Microsoft Word and Excel, Adobe Illustrator and InDesign and Apple's Pages and in your emails. All your snippets are everywhere. Text Expander updates new and edited snippets between your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, and your Windows-based computer instantly. So what you need is wherever it is that you're typing. And with Text Expander, you can spend less time typing and more time doing what you really want. They offer free snippet groups that they've assembled for people like job recruiters or freelancers, airport codes, brand names, and so much more at the Text Expander website. And you don't have to work alone because Text Expander for Teams lets you manage and share snippets with your coworkers or your entire company. And you can stay consistent and stay accurate with Text Expander. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. And remember to choose the productive woman in their how did you hear about Text Expander questions so they know that I sent you. <music> All right, let's get right into our topic for this week. This episode was inspired by some recent conversations in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group about various productivity tools and systems 
and whether and how they might work for one person or another. And as I read these conversations and participated in them, I, I really got to thinking it, it's important to talk about this issue, whether and how and why to make changes to our lives, to adopt an approach or a perspective, even if it's one that's raved about by lots and lots of other people. One example recently was a conversation in the Facebook group about Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism. Y'all have heard me talk about that book uh, in past episodes. I love the book. There's so much good in it. But, you know, some people raise some questions about it. Lucy, for instance, said, I've read it nine times, but I'm finding it incredibly hard to implement. And so we had a conversation about that. And I asked her what, what elements of it she found difficult to implement. And she had some really interesting thoughts about it. And um, one of the things she said was what she's finding difficult to implement is the idea of focusing down onto a few priorities means that you often have to let longstanding commitments go that you've invested in over the years. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's, there's some truth there. An example she gave is, and I'm quoting from her, her message or in the conversation, she says, ensuring time to think is a great idea but is it more important than your one big goal? You know, and I think what she's saying is, is it more important to save time to make space to think than it is to take action on your one big goal when you know what that is? She goes on to say that many of us have multiple non-negotiable commitments. So she says, if I rise at 4.30 a.m. to write my next book, should I be thinking instead? And so not getting the book done? Do I give up the novel writing, which is my happy time and my plan for added income as I get older? Or she says, if I cut back on work hours, is it then fair that my husband covers more bills and has to work harder or a colleague at work is given my extra workload? And then she asks, what about new ideas? Do we deny them all and stamp them out because they'll reduce from my main focus? And I thought, you know, those are all really good points, uh, things to think about in terms of you know, should I be trying to do the things that Greg talks about in the book? And I replied to her that I think I totally get what she's saying. I think, and this was my answer to her, and this is kind of what started me thinking about this episode. I said, I think each of us has to decide for herself what she wants her life to look like. Although I see a lot of value in what McEwen says in this book, the bottom line is if you like how your life is working, then there, there is no reason to have to change it to conform to what McEwen or anybody else teaches. And that's what I believe. Making a change based on a book or a podcast or anything else is only a good idea if the change addresses and improves something you're not content with in your life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in that episode. But like I said, the conversation with uh, Lucy was one of several that really got me thinking about what does it mean to make a life that matters and do how do we decide for our, for ourselves there was another example in the facebook group that same day uh, ruth was commenting on a past episode and was one of my guests and she said one thing i regularly struggle with is following uh, women entrepreneurs who outsource their children um, they tend to have a different path than me and she says, I'm not saying it's wrong. I get why some women do, but it's not the same life as that of the one I'm creating for my own family. Totally get that. Um, she also says, and I, I thought this was interesting. 
and and you'll see why I think this is interesting as we get into this episode more. She said, another thing to think about when outsourcing housework, I've just reclaimed mine back and believe me, I'm not loving it. But I woke up one day and realized that my children need to learn there is not always a fairy to pick up after them. They need to learn to clean the toilets and mop the floors. So now it's a family chore for just a couple of hours on the weekend. My eldest heads to university next year, four and a half hours from home. He needs to learn to do these things, which I realized he won't learn from having a housekeeper. So that's a perspective that she has compared to others who've talked about and um, a guest on the show who talked about for her life outsourcing housework, bringing in childcare, those things were important to her and a decision she made for pursuing her career and finding that balance. And as she is making a life that matters as she defines it, but Ruth's perspective is a little different. And as I told Ruth in that conversation, what a perfect example of how we each need to decide for ourselves what to do and how and why. I encourage women who are overwhelmed with work and so on to get help when they can. But Ruth describes a very good reason why a person might want to keep the housework, for example, in-house for a season. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution for any of this. And again, this is just another example of a conversation we've had in the group that got me thinking about how we evaluate options for uh, incorporating whether it's tools or an approach or a system into our life. And that what, what works for one person might not work for us. There are so many good resources out there, but, but I, and I believe this so much, no matter how good they are, what matters is whether you want to incorporate those concepts or those principles or those tools into your life. If your life works for you, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says or, or what anybody else does or what any expert says you should be doing. Nobody else can decide that for you. I think of, you know, an example that's kind of out there as I'm recording this is the Marie Kondo system of decluttering. Um, you know, she, she wrote the book, the, the, you know, magic of tidying up. It was, a, it's been a huge bestseller and lots of people have incorporated her systems into their life. And there's been a resurgence of it very recently as she's got, as Marie Kondo has a, a series, kind of a, a reality series on Netflix. And a lot of people, including me, I've watched some of the episodes. Uh, and so lots of people are talking about it. Well, there are lots of good things about decluttering and her system, whether it's her system or anybody else's, but here's, here's what I believe. And I'll put a link in case you haven't seen the Netflix uh, series that Marie's doing. It's worth watching because there's lots that you can learn from her and from others and lots of value in decluttering our lives, our homes and so on. But here's what I believe. You don't have to get rid of a thing if you don't want to. If you're happy with your space, that's what matters. If you're happy with your life, that's what matters. If you and the people who are closest to you are content and satisfied and happy, then it really doesn't matter what anybody else says your life ought to look like. I go to this, you know, going back to the example that we started talking about in the Facebook group of McEwen's book, Essentialism, and Gary Keller's book, The One Thing. I love these books. The, the 
concept. Well, I've done episodes about them. I'll put links in the show notes. I recommend these books because you can learn a lot from them. I see a great deal of value in the idea of really focusing in on what's most important. You know, Gary would say, Gary Keller, the one thing that is most important. Um, I have found in my life that I want more space in my calendar. I want my days to be less full. I would rather do fewer things, but do them better rather than spreading myself out over several different activities and priorities, even if they're really good things. But here's the thing. That's my choice. If your days are full and you're juggling multiple projects and you like it that way, if you're happy about how your days are spent and you're satisfied with the results of your efforts, then it doesn't matter what Greg McEwen says or what Gary Keller says or what I say. If you like how you feel at the end of each day and generally during the day, then that's what matters. Then your systems and your tools and your approach are working for you. You know, at the end of the day, productivity tools and systems and resources, all are just tools. They are all a means to an end. They are not the the end itself. The end, what we're seeking, what we're trying to work toward is a life that matters. And each of us has to define what that means for herself. Um, in, in a book I've been reading recently, the, the bullet journal method by writer Carol, uh, he says all tools, whether digital or analog are only as valuable as their ability to help you accomplish the task at hand. So, and, and the bullet journal method is a perfect example. It's another one of the examples of, of something that everybody's talking about. And, and I see conversations where women are saying, Oh, I feel like I ought to try this, but it just, and I've, I've given it a shot, but it doesn't work for me. Then don't use it. It's okay. Just because your fr- best friend or your sister or, you know, someone you've watched on YouTube finds bullet journaling fabulous and it has been the secret to their success in accomplishing everything they've ever dreamed of doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And that's okay. You know? The, they, these things are all tools and no one tool does everything for everybody, right? We all find the, t- the tools that work for us and those are the ones we use to make a life that matters to us. I'm going to talk more about the big picture uh, here in, in a minute in, in terms of making a life that matters. But a lot of times this conversation about, um, well, everybody's doing this thing, but it's not working for me. What, you know, what, am I doing it wrong? What's the, wh- why can't I make this work? I, I want to talk about it, it in those kind of specific systems or, or those specific context of um, whether a tool or a system or whatever is something you ought to adopt into your life. When you're trying to, when you're considering trying a new system, say a a productivity system, whether it's the essentialism approach or the one thing or the bullet journal or any, any of these systems that we read about Marie Kondo's approach or whatever, what, what should you consider? When should you consider changing what you're doing to adopt one of these other things that everybody's talking about? I think the answer is if you're not satisfied with the way things are in your life right now. And, and when I say not satisfied, I mean, 
personally not satisfied, not because somebody else is telling you you should be dissatisfied. If your space isn't working for you, if you're not at peace, if you can't find what you need, or you're missing appointments, or you can't think straight, or you're not sleeping well, those kinds of things may be signs that the approach you're using now is not working for you. And if that's the case, Yes, absolutely. Go out and learn what some of these other tools and systems and approaches have to offer and and try them to see if it will make a difference in those areas of your life or your space or your time or whatever that you're not satisfied with. I read a really good article called Harnessing Systems to Get More Done. And I'll put a link in the show notes because there was some good stuff in there. And one of the things the writer of that article said... There are good guidelines and high-level principles that are universal, but you alone can define and refine what works for you. When your system makes you feel comfortable and confident that your productivity bases are covered, and it has a track record of actually helping you do your work without missing anything important, stick to it. If you try a system and it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean the system is broken. It just doesn't fit you. Move on, try something else, focus on the results, not the system. And this writer also says something that's really good. If uh, They say, if you're spending more time researching and implementing a productivity technique than you are being productive, it's not actually helping you. Okay, just something to think about because it's not the tool that matters most. It's the person using them. And if it fits your personality and your style, and you are going to use it consistently, then it's, then it's a good system or a good tool for you. If you're not, it's not going to work. Another article, um, writer said a new productivity tool or strategy is almost always a placebo for your poor productivity habits something to consider. We talked more about this whole concept or this whole issue in episode 86 of The Productive Woman. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. That was five reasons to change your productivity system and four reasons not to. And I think a lot of those things, that's, you know, that was an episode kind of way back, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of good ideas there, a lot of truth in the reasons why and the reasons not to. And I encourage you to check that out. So, when we're talking about a tool, like a particular task manager or a system or an approach like, you know, the bullet journal method or Marie Kondo or anything else, really think about what it's helping you accomplish. If you are satisfied with the way things are, there's no reason to adopt something just because everybody else is talking about it. Do what works for you and that will help you make a life that matters to you. And all these things we've just been talking about with respect to specific tools or systems or approaches, the same thing goes to choices about how to live your life, you know, how to parent, what career to pursue, what to eat, where to live, all those sorts of things. Uh, Just as there are tons of systems and ideas and opinions about the best way to manage your tasks or your calendar or, you know, your your dresser drawers or your closet, There are lots of opinions about how to parent and how to pursue your career and be successful and how to eat and where to live and all those things. But here's what I believe. 
making a life that matters is an intensely personal thing. There is not one answer for all of us. A, a life that matters may look very different for you than it does for me, and that's okay. I have been thinking a lot about that because I think when I was younger, when I was a young mother, I was uh, really aware and conscious of what the other moms I knew were doing as in terms of their parenting style and how they maintain their homes and all those things. And I, I judged myself based on what other people were doing. And if I was living up to whatever vision I had of what their life was like, we've talked about this in the past before this idea of comparing ourselves to other people and how toxic that is, because you, we are always comparing our insides to other people's outsides. We compare the reality of our life to the the view we have of other people's lives through their Instagram stories or their Facebook posts. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, nor do we need to know. The fact is we just need to decide for ourselves what we want our lives to look like. I think so often we put a huge amount of pressure on ourselves, a judgment that we're doing it wrong uh, you know, whatever it is, whether, whether it's about how we're managing our to-do lists or how we're living our lives and how we're raising our kids, the choices we're making, we all often, many of us feel like we're doing it wrong. And again, we're looking at uh, outside ourselves, seeing how it looks like other people are doing it better. And we judge ourselves. Where does this, this pressure come from? And this is something I've thought about a lot lately. And I've, you know, I've got a few ideas. I would love to hear what you think about where this pressure we put on ourselves comes from the judgment that we make that, you know, other people have it figured out and we're doing it wrong. One of the things I think um, is this sort of fear of missing out. We don't want to miss an opportunity to do something great or do something better. And it makes it hard for us to sort of settle into our own systems and our own routines, because what if the way I'm doing it is wrong? Or what if I did it a different way would be better? And so that makes us question the choices we have. We also struggle. We put pressure on ourselves. We judge ourselves because we don't want to disappoint others. We don't want to let other people down, whether it's our spouses or our children or our parents or our colleagues at work. We judge ourselves pretty harshly and we worry about, you know, we're kind of always scanning for a better way, a better approach um, because we're concerned that the approach we're using is not the best. A lot of this, I think, boils down to a lack of confidence. And why do we lack confidence in our choices, in our approach, in the way we're doing things? I was reading something recently and came across a quote about how self-confidence impacts our productivity. And I don't know that that's where this article, you know, or where this quote was going, but that's it, how it occurred to me. There's some relevance here. This person said, until you value yourself, you won't value your time. And until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. So our self-confidence, our self-esteem 
has a direct impact on our productivity because if we, as this writer said, if we don't value ourselves, we won't value our time. And if we don't value our time, we are not going to use it well and do anything valuable with it. Another writer said, self-esteem is a state of mind and it can be changed. And I think this is so important. If we are questioning our choices and when you, you really examine your heart and you feel like, all right, the reason I am hesitant about adopting an approach to whether it's time management or parenting or meal planning or organizing my closet is because I, I don't, I question my choice. I question whether I am able to make the right decision here. And if you recognize that that's a a symptom of a lack of self-esteem, what this writer said, and this is an article called Eight Common Causes of Low Self-Esteem, and it's actually about like teenagers, young people, but it's applicable to all of us in many cases. I think it was very encouraging to read. And I'm going to, so, so what this one section of the article said is self-esteem is a state of mind and it can be changed. However, you can only improve your self-esteem if you're first willing to challenge the negative feelings and judgments you have toward yourself. No matter how convinced you are of your current evaluation of yourself, you have nothing to lose and the world to gain by considering that you have much more control over your self-esteem than you think. Making the choice to challenge your thinking may change how you think and what you do now and in the future. So if you are, uh, we are finding ourselves to be hesitant to make a decision about an approach and, and if we dig deeper into that and realize it's just because we question our ability to make the right decision, that's a self-confidence, a self-esteem issue, but we can change that. And when we recognize that negative self-talk and how it's affecting our ability to be productive and make a life that matters and decide what that means for ourselves, we're going to, we're going to make progress toward a life that matters as we define it. The fact is when we doubt ourselves, whether it's our, again, we're talking in this productivity sense, whether when we doubt our, our choice ourselves, our ability to choose the right task manager or choose the right um, school for our kids or choose the right career path or whatever, when we doubt ourselves, we subconsciously look for evidence that we're right to do so. And the truth is we always find what we look for. There's science behind this, you know, the psychology of our minds. We, whether we are conscious of it or not, we see what we look for. So when other people question our choices, we see that as evidence that our choices might be wrong. And we were, you know, we were kind of thinking maybe that was the case. And now uh, somebody else has questioned it. So that there, there's the proof. I'm making the wrong choice about my kids or my career or my, you know, physical activity or whatever it is. Um, But another writer said, there will always be someone questioning your choices. Most parents are familiar with the experience. What really matters in the end is whether the choices you make reflect your values and support your efforts. The, you know, I think it's so interesting. The irony is often the person who's doing the questioning 
or criticism that shakes our confidence is lacking confidence themselves. And this writer says the same thing. Often criticism comes from a place of insecurity, rejecting the status quo and trying to make changes feels to some as though you're rejecting them, but it's not the choices you make. You are making for your own well-being, and it's critical to remember that. This is from a great article called Dealing with Peer Pressure When You're an Adult, because yeah, peer pressure is a thing for us adults, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, Another article says, don't mind your critics. If you're acting in a way that's true to yourself, never mind the critics. Someone who criticizes you may be mired in their own insecurities, and that's not your problem to solve. Such good advice, such a good reminder. But again, we see when we are questioning our own choices, when we lack confidence in our choices, other people's criticism is the evidence that we were looking for that, yep, that's, they're right. You know, they don't think I made the right choice either. And I, I knew it. I knew I was wrong and this just proves it. But the encouragement here is to remember that other people's criticism is not relevant. We can certainly learn from what other people have to say, and we can listen without internalizing it and make our lack of self-confidence even greater. Peer pressure, as I said, is a thing, even for adults. And that lack of self-confidence or even just an inherent need to fit in, to belong, can make us very susceptible to following the crowd. And when we are trying to make a life that matters our own way, as we define it, following the crowd isn't necessarily productive, is it? We pick up something because, well, you know, everyone's doing it, so there must be something to it, right? I mean, if everybody's, you know, conmarrying their closet, I should be doing it too, even though I'm perfectly content with my closet. There's something in us though, that if everybody's doing it, we feel that pressure to do it ourselves. And there's a reason for that. One article talking about adult peer pressure says, no matter who you are, everyone wants to feel that they belong. And what this means, the writer says, is that people are influenced by family, friends, co-workers, other members, members in organizations to which they belong, such as church or a step group, social media contacts, and other forms of media. Peer pressure is very strong, and it's one of the most powerful tools that advertisers have in their arsenal. I thought this was really interesting when you bring this in, that so many advertisements that we see on TV or in magazines really are tapping into the power of peer pressure, the power of our desire to fit in with our group, whatever our group may be. This writer goes on to say, all of these pressure-filled avenues use different means of influence. Advertisements and TV programs promote an idea of what it means to be normal, telling people how they should look, what they should drive, and what they should put in and on their bodies. Family members pressure you about relationships such as dating partners, friends, and other acquaintances. Co-workers set the norms in the office. Every aspect of life can be controlled by some sort of peer pressure. Again, great article, lots of good stuff in there. I'll put a link in the show notes. So peer pressure is strong. We have this need to be part of our tribe, right? We want to fit in. We want to belong. And there's all kinds of reasons why that's the case. 
but it can interfere with our ability to create a life that's meaningful to us, a life that matters as we individually define it. Healthy people are able to learn from others without letting others' choices dictate theirs. Deciding what matters most to you, and we'll talk more about that in next week's episode, deciding what matters most to you and ordering your life accordingly. Uh, Another article said, good mental health requires the ability to make decisions for yourself based in part on the values you've developed through thinking independently, often with some influence from family, friends, and role models. When you behave in ways that contradict your core values, your self-esteem suffers and you may lose feelings of autonomy and control over your life. And this, the writer says, can easily lead to other poor choices that further negatively affect your physical and mental health. So succumbing to peer pressure to create a life that matches what the people around you are living is the exact opposite, I think, of making a life that matters. We need to define it for ourselves. I mean, the bottom line here is your life is your life. A life that matters is one that's lived in a manner consistent with your values and your beliefs and the priorities you've chosen intentionally. We can learn from each other. We can get ideas. We can get support. We can incorporate various aspects of things that other people teach about or talk about or ways that they model in their own lives. But nobody else gets to say how you should be living your life, whether it's how you manage your to-dos or how you decorate your home or how you raise your kids. All of that is between you and the people who are actually involved, your spouse, your kids, the people that live in your home with you, uh, you know, how you manage your life at work is between you and your boss and your colleagues. But ultimately, a life, as this one, that one writer said, what I read just a minute ago, if you behave in ways that contradict your core values, your self-esteem will suffer and you'll lose control over your life. And so for all of us, I would say, let's remember that. Remember that we get to choose, we get to decide And the way we make a life that matters is to do that on purpose, to do that intentionally, to begin to recognize when the choices we're making are being influenced by peer pressure, by a lack of self-confidence, by, you know, whatever outside forces that we're just sort of going along to get along, or even not even consciously, we're, we're making choices that aren't consistent with what we really value, what's most important to us. And when we recognize that, then we can on purpose choose to do something different, right? We can take a step back, decide what a life that matters looks like to us as individuals uh, with, you know, along with the people we live with, our, our spouse, our children, those sorts of things. And then we can take action to create that life because nobody's going to give us a life that matters. It doesn't just happen. We have to make it. And we do that through intentional choices, being aware of why we're making the choices we're making and purposefully making choices that are consistent with what we value most. 
Well, those are my thoughts on making a life that matters your own way. What do you think? Have you have you felt pressured to adopt a tool or a system or an approach based on what everybody is saying is the most awesome? How are you making a life that matters as you define it? How have you come to understand what that means? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And there are a number of ways that we can we can talk about it. You can share your ideas, your questions, your perceptions about this topic in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 232. And you'll also find find links to a bunch of articles that I thought were really interesting and might be a good use of, you know, a few minutes to read through some of these to get, you know, just get some perspective of what other people have said about it. If you want to have a conversation, continue with me and others who are like-minded and you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that's a great place for us to talk about this. And I really do want to hear what you think about how you are making a life that matters, how you're defining that for yourself and what you're doing to, to make that happen. If you want to share your thoughts with me privately, you can always email your questions, comments, or su- suggestions to me at feedback at the productive woman.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Before we go, just a quick word about uh, our sponsors. Uh, many of us have goals for this year and coming years that will require or involve getting an additional education. That's whether to advance in your current job, prepare for a new career, start a business, or just something, learn something new and expand your horizons. And the great thing is that the University of California Irvine Division of Continuing Education is here to help us achieve those goals. So if you're trying to start a new career, if you're trying to build a company, if you're trying to just better uh, develop an appreciation of the world around you, well, the UCI Division of Continuing Education offers resources that will help support you in those undertakings. They offer over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs covering programs in a wide range of categories from business to healthcare, IT, finance, and, and many, many more. They are, uh, this, and this is not some fly-by-night organization. Uh, UC Irvine is ranked among the top 50 universities in the United States and 10th among all public universities, according to the U.S. News and World Report annual college survey. They have over 30,000 students enrolled from around the world and offer hundreds of courses and programs to their students. The spring quarter is coming up. Registration is open right now. And for a limited time, they're offering a discount to the Productive Woman listeners. So you can visit ce.uci.edu slash podcast to learn more about the programs and what courses they offer. And then when you choose what you'd like to study for your, you know, to help you move forward in your personal or professional goal, you can enter the promo code podcast to get 15% off one course. So that's ce.uci.edu slash podcast and enter the promo code podcast to get 15% off one course. And that discount offer is limited time only. It's only valid through March 31st at 11:59 PM. So you want to find your course and register before that. And 
let me know what you decide to do. If you've signed up for a course, tell me about it. I'd love to hear from that. Email me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And when you do go to visit um, the, the website there, the, at ce.uci.edu slash podcast, let them know the productive woman sent you. And remember also to visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about how Text Expander can help you be more efficient and effective in your written communications. Remember to choose the productive woman in their How Did You Hear About Text Expander question. And thank you so much to Text Expander and to UC Irvine Division of Continuing Education for supporting the productive woman and for helping women everywhere make lives that matter. Well, that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. As always, I am so grateful to you for spending this time with me. I hope you felt like it was worthwhile. Hope you found something in this episode that is helpful to you that you can put into practice in your own life. I would love to hear from you if that's the case. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make a life that matters. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.